Well, thank you, Tom, worship ministry. It's been a blessing, haven't they, this morning? We're thankful for them. Today we're going to talk about the outpouring of God's revelation and our response to him. You know, we see that in light of God, in light of his perfection and his holiness, that he is faithful, church, he is faithful to reveal himself. It's not something that comes by accident, but rather the faithfulness of God to reveal himself to mankind. And so today, we, we open up scripture to see the truth of that revelation, to see the truth of God's manifold presence as it sins upon Isaiah. And so as we begin, I invite you, let's, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Now, now get this picture here, church. Seraphim were standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for your revelation. We thank you that you invite us in. You welcome us to your cross. You welcome us to your presence. God, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that today as we open your word, we look to see what that means for us. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts. Pour your presence out, moving us to respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin, let's, let's set a standard, one that you probably already know. And by sheer default of this pulpit, I know you've experienced. We believe that everything in the Word of God is inerrant. Nothing is wasted. It is all useful. It is all beneficial for the purpose of knowing our Savior more. There's not one sentence that it was placed flippantly in, but rather each word each verse is there by intentionality. And so when we look here at Isaiah 6 and we see this first sentence, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, we recognize that there's a framing that happens in that moment that, that helps to clarify the point, that helps to spur us on towards what the Lord is saying. And so, let's unpack this. Let's examine why that sentence is there. I want you to, to flip 
back in your Bible. Just, just go left a few chapters and a few books to 2 Chronicles 26. And, and let's look at the story of Uzziah because it is a fascinating account. A fascinating account. Verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old. Get that in your mind. What were you doing at 16? What was I doing at 16? I couldn't even find my way out of a restaurant at 16. And they invited his brother to be ruler of the nation of Judah at 16. They made him king in place of his father Amaziah who, by the way, was removed because of his foolishness due to a lack of pursuing God. That's a a trend that we might see pop up later in this story. Uzziah was the one who built Eloth, that's a city, and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Again, a reference to Uzziah's age. If you're in this room and you're young, be aware that God will not not use you because of your age. He does not look at a a timetable but says, come to me and let me work through you. Let me move through you. We see that as evidence here in Uzziah. Verse 4, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now, now let's hit a pause button here, church. You may be sitting there saying, well, now hold on a second. What are we, what are we getting to right here? Is this like a self-help gospel thing? Like, if I, if I follow the Lord and I pray and I'm a good Christian, like, will I get stuff? Well, let's clarify. The gospel of Jesus Christ and his inerrant, perfect word is not an Oprah show, okay? It's, this is not an Oprah Winfrey show. This is not, if you're good, it's a, you get a car, you get a car, you get a house, you have a good job, your family's great. No, 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 no. You, you don't walk outside your door and see a, a Lexus SUV driving by and be like, oh, they prayed all weekend. That's not how this works. However, there's something to be said about that statement, Someone who follows after God, who reads his word, who is found in prayer. That is the kind of person that gains a closer proximity with the Lord. I mean, that makes sense, right? If you you want to know someone, you, you spend time with them. And that relationship does change you. It's the same thing with God. The closer you are to his heart, the more you're filled with his wisdom because we believe that every piece of wisdom needed for right living is here. You want to know how to live with finances under God's rule? It's here. You want to know how to parent in a way that honors God? It's here. By default, someone who sticks closer to the Lord, by proximity as he moves and weaves through life, We'll make decisions through the lens of the Holy Scripture, which is only going to be a favorable outcome because of why. He's closer to the Lord. He's closer to his heart. He knows the truth. And the natural result is a heart that makes decisions and moves through life under the 
the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. That, that one was free, by the way. Uh, verse 6. He went against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabneth, and Ashad. He then rebuilt towns near Ashad and everywhere else among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Verse 9, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem and at the corner gate, at the valley gate and at the angle of the wall. So he, we're talking about the walls around Judah. He, he rebuilt them, refortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness, dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. We see a couple things here. Starting at age 16 and throughout his rule, Uzziah, he, he did some things. I mean, he, this guy, he's the man, the myth, the legend. This, this is an icon of a ruler, okay? Let's, let's examine this. He reconciled Judah's relationship with God. Well, we see that in verses 4 and 5. He reconciled Judah's relationship with God. Uh, back in that time, when a ruler would adopt a religion, that the nation would subsequently adopt the religion, the religion right? If, if a ruler adopted some kind of pagan uh, religion and all of its gods, so would that nation. So when Uzziah reconnected with the Lord, the whole nation was reconciled in their relationship. Okay, He reconciled Judah and their relationship with God. But the next thing we see, verses 6 through 8, verses 11 through 15, he restored Judah's armies. I mean, th this is not like a, a one-man show here. He, he had hundreds of thousands of, of warriors. And they were fierce. All right, they, they conquered the Philistines. I mean, th this, is like, this is like, you know, Tapa Bay type conquering here. I mean, they, they went in and they took over the place. He restored Judah's armies. The next thing we see is he rebuilt Judah's walls. You might sit there and say, okay, Pastor Grant, what's the big deal about the wall thing? Like, why, why is that in there? Well, back in, in the Old Testament times, a city wasn't fully fortified until the walls around the city were complete. It, it makes sense, right? Uh, as an army's coming up, they, they get archers up on that thing and they just pick them off one by one. You, you will lose half your army before you can scale those walls. That's why if you recount the story of Joshua and Jericho, why when, when the spies came back, they said, we can't do this. Those guys are massive and their walls are so tall. It was a big deal. The walls are a big deal. Deal. So in rebuilding the walls, he has economically and in the area of security restored them. And then he reestablished Judah's farming and livestock. He reestablished 
Judah's farming and livestock. I mean, this guy was the man, the myth, the legend. This is an icon of a ruler, unlike any they had seen to this point. He was amazing, starting off at 16 years. But you see, you know what happens when at, we get to the end of a period where we say, look what I can do. Hey, you've had that happen, right? You say, you, you brush off the resume and say, look what I can do. Look what I've done. I should be afforded this. I can, I can make this happen. I'm this good. I'm this great. I'm this successful. So therefore, I should be afforded this. I, it's pride. It's, it's pride, right? We see that. Let's, let's check out what happens here in the rest of this account of Uzziah. I, I'm going to skip over to verse 16. But Uzziah, after becoming powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Oh, that we would stay before the Lord. Oh, that we would stay in his presence, realizing that everything that we do, everything we have done is not us, not our ability, not what we can bring to the table, but rather, it is Christ in us. It is not us. It's never been us. There's a certain amount of, of thanks, thankfulness in that, right, church? When we see that, it's, it's not up to me. But rather, it's the Holy Spirit moving in me. I, I can't bring anything to the table that's of pure value. It's, it's all God. It's always been him. But we see that Uzziah's downfall was pride. His unfaithfulness to the Lord. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. Verse 17, Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted Uzziah and said, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary for you've been unfaithful. Now you may sit there and say, what's the big deal? So, so the guy went in, and maybe, maybe, maybe the priest was like on a water break or something. What's the big deal? So in, 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 in ancient Israel, before the cross, before Jesus, there was an area of the temple called the Holy of Holies, where, where the priest would go in. And it wasn't just any priest of the tribe of Levite. It was a certain portion that were consecrated for the purpose of entering into the Holy of Holies. Only these chosen few could go in. And that was not just their decision. That was written out in the Mosaic Covenant. That was part of God's law, God's design for his house of worship. So when Isaiah goes in, he is desecrating the house of God because of his sinfulness. The rest of this goes on to say that in his anger, he welled up with pride when they confronted him and God struck him with leprosy. And he was cast out of God's presence. And he was forced to live the rest of his life secluded, alone, embarrassed, small. So when we see a sentence that says in the year King Uzziah died, we recognize that the framing is like 
this. There's Isaiah saying, Lord, what do we do? Where do we go now? This man, this myth, this legend, the icon of a king, reduced to embarrassment. Lord, where do we go? God, I'm desperate for you. Desperate for you to move and to work and to be what we need. And it's at that moment that we see the revelation of Almighty God. That's point number one. The revelation of Almighty God. God's faithful in that, church. He's faithful in that. And in that moment, God's not just away, cast aside, looking down, saying, okay, I see what you're saying. Rather, he's there, immediately, closer than a brother, more consistent than a father. He's there, his presence descending, not just a piece of it, all of it. All of heaven is there, taking over the place, God's revelation. And what we see in that moment is that God is faithful to those that are desperate for him. God is faithful to those that are desperate for him. He is most faithful to those that are desperate for him. All you have to do is cry out to him. You need hope, he's there. You need victory, he's there. You need the answer, he's the solution. His presence is always there. It's always been there from the foundation of the earth to the time where he returns. He will always be there, waiting, saying, come to me, you that are weary. Come to me, you that are needy. You ever felt distant? I mean, we've just ended a season of distance where because of the pandemic, we've been separated. You ever felt in that moment like you're isolated? He's there saying, I'm, I'm ready. Let me reveal my heart to you. And he is faithful to fully invite us into his presence in that moment. He is faithful to fully invite us in. You see, there, there's no veil anymore. Rather, that, that separation between God and man was taken down by the cross of Jesus. Now we enter through the doorway of Jesus into God's holiness. Because when he looks upon us, we're, we're clean, covered in the blood of God. Upon the revelation of God, we see some very interesting natural responses the outpouring of God brings about a great response. Let's look at this. That's point number two. The response to God's revelation. Let's read in verses three and four. Now, now, now keep in mind, this is not just the response of Isaiah. This is, these are angelic beings. These are beings of glory, might, and power themselves. I mean, they've got six wings. They're flying. And yet, their praise, all their honor, all their glory is going to God. And they call to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. You see that? Isn't that a great picture of what our response should look like? 
There's nothing weak in that response, is there, church? There's nothing held back there. Their response to God shook the doorposts. It rattled the walls. It was a cry of victory. For God is good. God is great. And his presence is enough. How should ours be any different? I loved hearing our choir lead. Because we know that that's a victorious cry when our choir is leading us. I'd say this as an encouragement. Because I fall into that as well. That if you find that your response to God lacks victory, lacks hope, the opportunity is to spend more time with him because at the realization of his glory, power, and might, our only response is to be one of complete victory, offered fully from a heart of praise and adoration. Our response, church, our response, church, should be victorious, full of hope, full of victory. In view of God's revelation, though, we see something fascinating. You see, when, when, when you're there and you're responding to God, his holiness, his worthiness, his greatness, we see our sinfulness, don't we? When, we? when we gaze upon God and say, how great thou art, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and always will be, we realize our depravity. Let's look at this together. Let's look at this together in verse 5. In verse 5. Upon seeing the revelation of God and the response to that revelation, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because, this is the statement right here, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God is holy, church. God is holy. He is worthy. He always has been. He always will be. And in light of that holiness, we're shown our sinfulness. In light of that holiness, revealed to us are the ways in which we don't honor God. But, but that's not a strict thing. It's not a, a judgmental thing. God's not up there in a high holy bubble saying, yep, there's about five things that you need to fix real quick. No, 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 no. It's a life-giving thing. He's saying, I want you to come as close as you can. Here are things in your life that you can give up. You, you know, the, the great thing about that is, is that those things that God brings to our attention that we can give up, those are all things that we place on the throne in our life, right? Like they're, they're placebos, they're, they're fake. They're, they're, there's a place in our heart that God has made for only himself. There's a, a throne room in our heart that he designed for him to sit on. But we put other, other things on there, don't we? I mean, that's, that's where things like marital affairs, pornography, alcoholism, that's where financial crimes, 
That's where those things come from. They're all placebos. They're all fake. And we have this little baby God that we place on the throne in our life, and God's saying, that's never going to satisfy. That's never going to be good enough. For I made that for me. And so he's saying, give that up. And in light of God, in view of his holiness, we see point number three, a realization of our sin and a request for forgiveness. A realization of our sin and a request for forgiveness. You know, this, this implies a, a long-lasting decision, doesn't it? To say, God, God I, I, I know it's not good enough and I give it up because you're better. I mean, I mean we see that in David. David says, Lord, because, because your love is better than life, I'll honor you. We see that in Romans. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because God is better. His hope is better. His word is better. And in that moment, we, we recognize that, that there's a process of where he takes us from where we are and through his sanctifying work, his refining work in our life makes us closer to him. Now, it's not just a one-time giving away. It's, he's saying, broken world, sinful people, continue to give those things to me. Let me work in your heart. Let me work in your life. If you ever say, God, I, I, can't, I can't get past this one thing. The encouragement to you, the encouragement to me, is that God is better than whatever that is. And we're trying to fill a throne in our lives built only for Jesus. And as soon as we remove that false God and place him on that, there's unimaginable peace. I mean, he satisfies better than any Netflix show. There's nothing you can go out and do that's as fulfilling as he is. He's made that spot for him. And oh, are we grateful for that church. Oh, are we so thankful for that. Upon the realization of sin and the request for removal, we see that there is a removal of sin. That's our next point. There's a removal of sin. You see, God doesn't just leave us. He, he didn't just create us, make us, and get this thing going, and then say, all right, see y'all later, I'm out. By no means. He made you for him. Let's look at this together. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Again, this is after Isaiah's realization of his great sin. One of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is atoned for, and your sin is removed. God doesn't leave us how we are. He invites us in. He says, I'm, I'm here. I've always been here. You're forgiven, my child. You're forgiven. You're welcome into my family. You're forgiven. There's nothing that cannot be forgiven. Now, now you may 
You may sit there today and in an, in an authentic place in your heart say, yeah, I hear you, but, but you, don't, you don't know this, this one thing. You may say, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I said. You don't know what I thought. You don't know what I did. I might not. But, you know, here's the great truth. God knows. God knows every single crook and crevice. He knows every single closet that we hide stuff in. And he knows us. He, and he knew us when he took the cross meant for us. And he says, you're forgiven. Come to me. Sin stains and all. Sin chains and all. Come to me. You're forgiven, my child. I love you. He removes our sin. He's faithful in that church. He's faithful in that. There's nothing you can do that can move past his love. There's nothing that you can do to out-sin his forgiveness. Holy God, but full of grace, full of love, and full of mercy. But you see, in this sequence or what some call the Isaiah 6 model of worship, we're not quite done at that point. Praise God we're not done at that point because there's a commissioning, isn't there? There is Isaiah standing in the presence of God, surrendering to him, being cleansed by him, and then what do we see? It goes on to say, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's immediate response is, here am I. Send me. I mean, you, you see that, right? We, we see that in light of these things. There, there's a, a recognition of purpose and mission. There, there's a recognition. And what we find is, is that in light of God's revelation, in light of our response and request for the removal of sin, that we're there before God, cleansed, made as whole as we can be before we get to heaven. And when we're in God's presence, all of life comes into focus. I mean, you see that, right? Like, have you ever experienced just um, an encounter with the Lord where, where his holiness, his greatness, and his grandeur falls upon you? It's in that moment that we see that that mountain is really a molehill. It's in that moment that we see that our dreams, our ambitions are, are, are so much less in light of his great purpose, of his gospel. I mean, it makes sense, right? In view of God, in view of his holiness, in view of his greatness, our purpose and mission comes fully into focus. I mean, and we're not just talking about a, a, some kind of a story you read on Sunday. We're not just talking about a podcast you heard. I mean, you walked outside, do you see how bright that sun is? That, that baby-sized sun when in the vast universe of all the stars? There's stars hundreds of times larger than that thing. God opened his mouth and breathed those things out. 
I'm talking a response to that God. There's no thing we can do that equates to his holiness, but rather he's saying, come to me. The purpose I've laid before you is to make much of who I am, to be on mission. I mean, maybe that's an answer to something you've been saying in your life. I feel like God's bringing me somewhere. I feel like God's taking me somewhere. Maybe where he's taking you is, Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, here am I, send me. In view of your holiness, in light of your greatness, amazed at your cross and your grace and your mercy that I don't deserve, that you freely gave through the person of Jesus Christ, I enter through the vehicle of Holy Spirit into your holy of holies, and I say, Lord, whatever it is, here am I, send me. I mean, we see that in the life of the church. You wish that we had more kids workers? Here am I, send me. You wish that we had another trumpet player? Here am I, send me. You wish that we had more this or that? Here am I. Lord, send me. Oh, that we would be grateful that God would use us in those ways. Because he's designed us for that. To make much of who he is. When we view God and his holiness, all of life comes into focus. And we see that the great revelation of God brings about a response in our life that can impact our family, our city, and our church. As we close today, we, we respond to God, right? We, we, we take some time where, where Tom and the choir are going to lead us, and, and we respond in that. And, and here's a couple of ways that, you, that I invite you to respond Maybe you're sitting there today and you're saying, I, I think God's calling me to serve this church in a, a certain capacity. I think, I think I'm having a here am I, send me kind of moment. Come down this aisle. We want to talk to you about that. Now, maybe you're, you've been visiting our church for a while and you've attended the new members class. And you're saying, I, I think God's telling me I'm here. He's calling me to serve and know him and to be a member of this church, to do life serving and loving the body and making much of who he is in this community. Through this church, here am I. Send me. Come down this aisle. We want to talk to you about that. But you see, there's a a third part of this today. If you're here and in this cross talk, this sanctification talk, this sinfulness standing in the light of the glory of God, which is only made possible through the doorway of Jesus whose blood covers us and makes us right in God's sight. If you're saying, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about lordship or thrones in my life. I want to talk to you about giving your life to Jesus. It's the most fulfilling relationship that you'll ever have. Come down this aisle. No one judges you. We celebrate. We rejoice in that. Come and talk to us. Let's respond together today. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. I thank you and praise you for your goodness, for your holiness. Lord, I pray that as we respond to you today, Lord, that you would make much of yourself. Lord, draw us to to yourself. 
Lord, will we have a here am I, send me moment where we realize it's all about you, it's all about your goodness, and that in light of who you are, our purpose and mission comes into focus. We offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.